The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, in 2014, FSU law professor Dan Markell was in the middle of a bitter child custody battle when he was gunned down in his garage. Now, three people have been convicted of his murder, and prosecutors say a fourth person, his ex-brother-in-law, Charlie Adelson, orchestrated this murder-for-hire plot. But just how far does this all go? Court TV legal correspondent Julie Janae joins me from Tallahassee to untangle this story as the trial of Charlie Adelson gets underway. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for downloading this episode of the podcast. Um, we're taking you on a, a really deep dive into a very layered, complicated family situation slash murder for hire case. And it's about a Florida State University law professor, brilliant legal mind and father of two. His name was Dan Markell. He's the victim in the case. The trial is of his former brother-in-law, a dentist from South Florida. So those are the two main facts keep in mind here. We're talking about a trial where a dentist from South Florida is accused of hiring a hitman to murder a law professor more than 400 miles away in Tallahassee, Florida. So let's begin and, and let's talk about Dan Markell. Let's talk about what happened to this law professor. Joining me, Court TV legal correspondent Julie Janae, who is actually in Tallahassee right now as we speak. Um, Julia, let's let's start with the, the murder of Dan Markell. I mean, at the moment that he is killed, um, he's in the middle of a, of a legal battle. Yeah, he's in a legal battle that had been brewing for many months. He was done with his divorce from his wife at the time, Wendy Adelson. And he then was in this custody dispute over the terms of that divorce agreement. So they were still going to court, even though their divorce decree was done. She wanted to move with the children. He did not want her to be able to move out of Tallahassee. And the latest issue leading up to the time before he was killed, he was trying to get his mother-in-law, Donna Adelson, keep her away from the kids unsupervised. Uh, he had two sons with his wife, and uh, that's what was still brewing. He was still going to court. And it was nasty, and it was nasty, and it was it was ugly, and it, and many times it is, right? When a, when a couple breaks up, they have children. and But in this case, the, the friction really was about where would the children live? Not in whose house, but like where? Because he's a law professor in Tallahassee and his ex-wife, Wendy Adelson, her family is from South Florida. So let's take a listen to, uh, and, and Dan Markell has an amazing story too, because this is a guy who's, who's um, Harvard educated, like brilliant legal mind. And now he's the victim of a criminal case 
And his mom, Ruth, has been so strong through all of this, and, and we spoke with her. Um, let's take a listen to her describe her son, who's the victim of a murder plot. Well, Dan, I think, would definitely, uh, you know, want to see, you know, he's very, very interested in, in, in justice. He was very, very interested in sort of the law, you know, should be fair. He was also concerned about victims uh, in general. And here we are. We're a family full of victims, our own family, you know, suffering uh, really a long time, the victim experience. So I'm, I'm sure he, he would have had that uh, sensitivity and compassion uh, to any family going through what we are experiencing right now. That's Ruth Markell, uh, Dan Markell's mom, who, I mean, has been so strong through all of this. So, uh, Julia, let's get to what happened the day that Dan Markell was murdered, the, the circumstances, where he was, and, and what happened. It was an ordinary day for him. He went to the gym. He left his home in Benton Hills, Tallahassee. He drove back home, called his mom like he normally did. He called another friend. And then when he got to the driveway of his home, he told his friend, hang on, something to that effect. There's someone I don't recognize in the in front of my house. And that was an indicator to police that this was a stranger that had committed this horrible thing. He was gunned down. We now know they've been convicted. Luis Rivera and Secreto Garcia ambushed him there in his driveway, shot him in the face, in the head, killing him. Eventually, he didn't die there, but he did die later at the hospital while he was still sitting inside of his vehicle. The man, and you mentioned two names, uh, Luis uh, uh, Rivera and Secreto Garcia. They're both from South Florida. They're not from Tallahassee, and neither one of them has any connection to Dan Markell. And Luis Rivera is the first one to be arrested, and the first one arrested in a murder-for-hire plot. The only way to, to get some sort of a deal is to provide evidence and testimony. And he provided some interesting, interesting facts surrounding this case, specifically as to what this murder for hire was all about. Let's take a listen. I thought we were going to go rob him. You thought you were coming to Tallahassee to do a robbery? Yes, ma'am. Did you assume that, or did somebody tell you that? No, I assumed I'm like, you know, it was his job. All right. So you knew it was a job in Tallahassee, and you assumed it was a robbery. Did you learn something additional about what it was on the way to Tallahassee? Yeah, on the way coming up, like halfway there, we just, he said we're going to have to um, kill the man. So you were going to have to kill the man? Yeah. And what was the second part of what you said? For some kids. For some kids. All right. Anything else? What did that mean to you, kill the man for some kids? That's for a lady. Um, I guess the lady wanted her kids back. And Julia, that's, that's the connection to turning this from some sort of random shooting to a reason why he's there. He's there for some lady about her kids. Yeah, they actually arrived. They kind of scoped out the place at first. They went to Tallahassee, Luis and Sigfredo in, in a car. And when they got there, they were going to commit the murder. And this is according to Luis Rivera's testimony. But they saw Wendy. They saw the wife there 
I think picking up the kids and they didn't do it that time. And they came back to Tallahassee a second time and carried out the plot. But it, it seemed that the reason they couldn't do it at that point was because she couldn't be there when they carried this out. They had to avoid Wendy Adelson being involved. So does that point to her having some knowledge about this or that the entire plan was to keep Wendy out of it? And again, they drove over 400 miles to be there to commit this murder. Now, Luis in his testimony is, is mentioning Sigfredo, and uh, he also testified about like, so who, who knows what about what, right? It's a murder for hire. There's layers here. And who is Luis's connection? He's connected to his friend Sigfredo. Luis is a, is a Latin King gang member. Sigfredo is the guy who brought him in. So let's listen to Luis again testify about who, from his perspective, is involved in this whole thing. I gave him the truth, bro. I'm not going to go back and forth with you. Man, I gave him the truth. Like it was Katie and Garcia. It was all three of us was involved. Okay, so let's walk through this. He says all three are involved. Describe who Luis Rivera is talking about and their relationship to one another, uh, Julia. So Luis Rivera, as you mentioned, a known leader in the Latin Kings gang in South Florida, his best friend from childhood was Sigfredo Garcia. So they were running buddies. No indication that Sigfredo Garcia was uh, this uh, member of the Latin Kings in the way that Luis Rivera was, but they were definitely affiliated and connected. Sigfredo Garcia had a longtime girlfriend and baby mama, and that would be Catherine Magbanawa. They had children together. They'd been on again, off again, but that was his main girl. Um, she, and I don't know if you want to get into it yet about her connection, but that's how these three people that he's talking about were all connected to each other. So Sigfredo and Katie were a couple. They have children together. And Luis is a fellow friend slash gang member of Sigfredo's. Those two are the one that go up to Tallahassee. But Catherine is involved in all of it. So who is Catherine McBannell? She's she's like a, a she works at a nightclub, right? And she's like a what we used to call a bottle girl would walk around and and pour shots and things like that. And, you know, dress very scantily inside the clubs. Yeah, she said she was really good at it when she was arguing that she had nothing to do with this and that the money she was getting was from her cash of working the Miami nightclub scene. Uh, She also was doing promotions, she said, for different companies. And she also did some office work because she also claimed to have been working with the Adelsons. But she was someone who was a mom. She had uh, gone to college. She according to her attorney, only had the flaw of having bad taste in men. Not only Sigfredo Garcia, but also eventually we'll learn Charlie Adelson. And you mentioned that name, Charlie Adelson. We mentioned that at the top. This is the man who's been accused of masterminding the murder of Dan Markell. And and Charlie and Katie were a, a bit of an item. I mean, uh, my guess is Charlie's hanging out in the club, sees this hot little number. Uh, They hit it off. He's got the red Ferrari. She's got, you know, what she's got. And, you know, you know, sparks fly. Um, But Katie was indicted and charged as being part of this conspiracy to kill Professor Dan Markell. And 
She was on trial, and at her trial, she was asked about Charlie. Let's take a listen. There are televisions in jail, right? Yes, ma'am. And you were privy to several news reports on this case, right? Yes, ma'am. You were aware that the government's position was that you, you saw a news report where they said that you hold the key to your own freedom. Remember yes, that? Yes, ma'am. Okay. What did that mean to you? Objection, That it's up to me to get out of jail. Okay, and how would you do that? If I gave up Charlie. Can you, do you have information that Charlie Adelson was involved in this? Do I have information? I mean, based on everything that we've been seeing, but I don't have personal information. Based on everything you, you've seen, do you think Charlie was involved in this? Yes. Do you think Charlie was lying to you? Yes. Okay, so let's let's put some perspective on this. What's what's the prosecution theory on how Charlie is the mastermind and is able to hire Latin kings to commit this murder? Their theory is that she was his connect. She connected him to a different side of the Miami night scene and that he let her know he needed someone to take care of a problem for him. His brother-in-law, who was driving his sister crazy, not letting her move to South Florida, where they can all be a family together, and that he was constantly in communication with Katie, Catherine McBanawa, in order to use her connections with Sigfredo Garcia and ultimately Sigfredo Garcia's connection to other people who were much more nefarious who could carry out what his goal was. Here's my take on Charlie. Charlie was a dentist. His family has this uh, amazingly successful dental practice. I mean, millions and millions of dollars. And he's got the red sports car. He's single. He's out on the town. And I think he tried to play the role of a tough guy. Like he wanted to be like some sort of, uh, you know, a big shot. Right. And he's hooked up now with this woman, Katie McBanawa, who is actually, um, you know, has children with a guy who's actually a tough guy, like a real tough guy, not a make believe dentist going out at night trying to become a tough guy. So what happens is after the murder now, it's obvious to everyone that the only people in the world who had a motive to kill Dan Markell were the Adelsons, right? Wendy, his ex, the, the, the grandparents, and, and the whole family who was in this bitter custody battle trying to bring and trying to get the court to, to order that Dan's children could be moved 400 miles away down to South Florida where Wendy and her very rich family live. So with, those, with that air of suspicion, investigators have some hidden cameras and microphones in a restaurant called Dolce Vita, which was also the tattoo that Casey Anthony put on her left shoulder after she, her, her, her child Kaylee uh, died. It means sweet life and has incredible irony in all of this. But Katie and Charlie are eating together or meeting together after the murder. And here's a piece of that recording. Charge me. If not, I don't talk to cops. Sorry. No, it's just very simple. It's like, 
Very interesting there, Julia. How would you how would you describe and and uh, um, put significance on this recording? It sounds just like what you said, like the role of the tough guy that he is being. He already knows how to play this. He's telling her, look, don't sh don't fold. If the police come up to you, you just tell them, hey, arrest me if you have the evidence. And if not, have a nice day. Um, this is after a bump. It's what the FBI calls them trying to shake things up. because This was actually a couple of years after Dan Markell had been killed. But they wanted to get the Adelsons talking again. No one had been arrested yet. Uh, well, they, they, Luis Rivera was behind bars and um, Catherine was not, uh, Catherine McBanawa. And they sent an undercover agent to uh, talk to Donna Adelson to tell her, hey, I'm from jail. I just got out. You've got a friend who's connected to you all, knows about Dan Markell. Pay us because we want to get taken care of too. And the idea was to see if Donna got scared because she is involved and that's when we have this meeting between Charlie and Catherine and he's basically telling her please come to you here's what you say another damning thing he says in that recording is that if they had any evidence I'd already be at the airport to get out of town to fly away to some other country but he didn't go anywhere yeah, and then that's one reason he's being held without, uh, uh, you know, being able to get out on bond. So um, there you have the, the setup, the, the murder and a little bit of the aftermath. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a closer look at the Adelson family. Again, this is the important part. Wendy is the, the ex-wife of Dan. She's the one in the custody battle, but she has some very involved parents and a brother who is in the mix as well. We'll talk about that when we return. The evidence has shown that on July 18th, 2014, this community suffered a blow when revered law professor, colleague, son, father, brother, and friend was gunned down in broad daylight in his own home. What enemy or enemies had Mr. Markell made that set into motion such a brutal act? The answer, his own family. Wow. And when the prosecutor says her, his own family, she's referring to really his ex and his former in-laws. That's who she's referring to. Um, welcome back to the Court TV podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan, along with Court TV legal correspondent Julie Janae. She's in Tallahassee, where this trial of a dentist from South Florida named Charlie Adelson is accused of hiring and orchestrating and masterminding the murder of law professor Dan Markell, 400 miles away in Tallahassee. And uh, Julia, again, this all comes back to this bitter custody battle that was taking place. But I think we need to learn a little more about the Adelsons and, and who they are. This, this dental practice they have is like a family affair and extremely profitable. 
Yeah, extremely profitable, extremely well known. It's what I would say one of the main reasons they don't want to leave this area. They want Wendy to come to them because they are established in South Florida. They have a following, they have a customer base, but they also have a community that they are prominent in. And they all work together. You have Charlie who goes into the family business. Wendy is a lawyer. She's gone to law school. Their other son went to into medicine. So they have a really well-educated children. And that seemed to be what Donna Adelson wanted for her children. Uh, she's very invested in their lives, invested in who they marry, how they date, and what that's going to look like for their family. And that's a, something that didn't seem to jive with how Dan Markell was doing things in his life with Wendy Adelson, and that caused friction that got incensed. It started with Donna Adelson liking Dan Markell so much that she wanted her daughter to date him, but uh, that changed. She picked him out. She, she picked him yeah. out. They were on, on the Jewish dating site, J date. And the story is, is that Wendy and Donna were going through the different profiles. And I just know in my heart that Donna said, this is the one. She saw Harvard. This is the one. I mean, who wouldn't look and say that this is someone Harvard, good looking and he's of the Jewish faith, which was very important to Donna. Absolutely. So let's take a listen now to the prosecutor uh, describing for the jury in, in the trial of Catherine McBanoa and Sigfredo Garcia, um, Wendy and this, what was happening in this child custody battle? What happened after his murder? She moved to South Florida and she systematically erased their father from these boys' lives. She changed their names from Markel to Adelson. Why? Because there was too much media attention with the name Markel in it? Wasn't there a lot of media attention with the name Adelson in it? And if that was really her reason, why drop the middle name that was in honor of the paternal uh, ancestors? Why keep Dan Markel's parents away from the children? for any other purpose other than to obliterate the memory of their father. Wow, that's cold. Those allegations are cold and show how personal it was. You know, it, you, you talk about motive, and here you can talk about the result of the murder of Dan Markell is that Wendy Adelson wins. The Adelsons win. The kids end up down in South Florida, but they take it to the next level. That's the accusation, that they went beyond the pale when it comes to how they handled this. There were a lot of things that um, the emails show that Donna attempted to do or wanted to do to free her daughter of having to live in Tallahassee. She said that they should uh, give him a million dollars to go away, to let them move the kids they to They tried South to pay off Dan Markell. A million bucks and just let the you know let the kids go. go away essentially. Right? And they also, and this wow. one blows my mind. They wanted to threaten him that they were going to convert the children to Catholicism when they themselves weren't Catholic, but they knew that because of his devout faith, that that would be something that would very much perhaps motivate him to allow them to do something. So there were, there's, there's a lot of um, information out there about Donna Adelson's ire 
towards Dan Markell and really wanting him to just go away. Now, the way these these trials have played out, the first two, because in the first trial, Sigfredo Garcia was convicted. Um, then in the second trial, Catherine McBanawa was convicted. In both cases, Wendy Adelson, the one who, like, the the... the the one in the middle of the alleged motive of this murder for hire has been called as a witness for the state and has testified. Let's take a listen to a piece of her testimony. Was there a time during the time that you were living there at Aqua Ridge, Aqua Ridge that you determined that you would like to move to South Florida with the children? There was. All right. And were your parents very involved in trying to facilitate that relocation? My parents were supportive of me moving to South Florida. Would you describe your parents as being over-involved in your personal business? As compared to other people's parents? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I know. I know. I know that they were. Absolutely they were. I mean, this... It's normal for her. This is normal life. This is, uh, you know, these, I want the grandkids down here. The grandkids are going to be here. Yet, Wendy, I told you, I want the grandkids down here. I can hear it. I can hear it in my head. Uh, and again, these are the allegations of the prosecution. But this is fascinating. So explain why Wendy is testifying, but yet I believe she could still be charged as part of all of this because they've been going sort of like one by one by one going after the people they believe are involved in this plot. Wendy did get a type of immunity for her testimony. She did testify in the very first trial, the second trial as well, and we expect her on the stand in this trial. Uh, she was given derivative and use derivative, uh, use immunity, meaning anything that she testifies about, they can't use that to either get evidence directly from it to then charge her, or they can't use those words against her if she's charged. But if they get something completely independent outside of what she testifies about, then there's the potential, unless she got transactional immunity, which would completely clear her. But we know even her parents, that was what they were offered what they would have gotten if they did talk to uh, prosecutors in this case. So that's the reason that we're hearing from her, because she has that protection. And I think, Vinny, that her parents were careful if they were involved. And we know the prosecution has now charged Charlie with being involved. I think there was this plan to make sure she didn't know enough to be dangerous because she would be the first person that police would look at because she was involved in the custody. I get it. Yeah. Uh, and I get the, what prosecutors have done here. I think it's taken way too long. Um, but there's, there's, she's the one who benefits, right? Because she's the one directly in this, this custody battle. She's the one then that gets to move to South Florida and gets to bring her kids and doesn't have to worry about any obligations um, of shared custody with the father of her children. Um, it's troubling because when you, we go back to the actual murder, like there's some information that the killers are going to need to know, like where he lives and what time he gets there, where does he go, that sort of stuff. And, uh, and I'm wondering where they're getting the information from. And I'm wondering how much prosecutors have in terms of phone records. But again, they may be very careful. Now, 
You mentioned this bump before. We have the audio of it. The video of it is something you can watch on Court TV. Um, is is fascinating. But let's take a listen to it because this is where there there's been some arrest, but no one in the Adelson family has been implicated yet. And as you uh, explained, Julia, investigators, the FBI, and everyone's trying to shake things up, trying to get the Adelsons to talk to each other. So there's this awkward um, meeting that she has on the street with an undercover agent. Let's listen. This is Adelson. Hey, Bill. Just want to give you this. Um, listen. Scared. <laughs> no, don't be scared. Listen. Just want to let you know that uh, you know that your family uh, has been taking care of Katie and her friend Hugo for quite some time after your problem up north has been solved. And I want to let you know that my brother, he's incarcerated. He helped your family with this problem you guys had up north. And we want to make sure that he's going through some rough times. We want to make sure that you take care of, of what he's going through, the way you're taking care of Katie and uh, Tuba. Well, this will explain it. Thank you. Julia Janae. How would you characterize Donna's reaction to this? Someone meeting her in the street talking about Tuto and Tato, who are uh, Sigfredo and Luis. Uh, a little mix of stunned but calm. She is handed this piece of paper because you notice he didn't say anything about Dan Markell. He didn't say law professor. He just said, you're a problem up north. And the paper that she has is a press release or something from police that would have been in the news about the murder of Dan Markell. And she kind of looks at it, looks, ar- walk, uh, looks around, and then she just goes home. And we know that she then passes that information along to her husband, to her son. On that press release, there's also a number for them to call so that they can do this payout of the undercover officer who is posing as someone who has a brother behind bars. Okay. Two things I take away from this. One, to me, this reveals how they are not really thinking. And number two, it reveals that, yes, the Adelsons are involved. It proves it to me. Because if you just had your son-in-law murdered, right? And this is a couple years later, but your son-in-law was murdered. And someone was out to get a member of your family, whether there's a divorce or not, is to me is irrelevant. And now some stranger is bumping into you and, and talking about taking care of people. You're not freaking out. You're not scared for your own safety. You don't go to police. And I know they're under the microscope of police. I, I get it. But you don't go to police and say, we need protection or do anything like that. It's, it's, to me, it, it, she's too cool as a cucumber. And then all the Dolce Vita and the other recordings afterwards uh, tell me a different story. Like if, if you if you have no involvement in this and you've got gangsters arrested, Latin kings arrested for murdering the, the, the father of your grandchildren and now someone, some strangers bumping into you in the street and you're not freaking out? Come on. Speaks volumes to me. What they should have done, right? If you want to commit the perfect murder for hire is they should have reacted that way. And, and, and as soon as that happened, call 911. Oh, my God, what just happened? This person bumped into me. I know, I, I know we've got a murder in our family, and this guy like bumps into what I don't know what's going on here. We need, 
you know? That's why it was the perfect bump because it happened probably after they had stopped calculating every single move and anticipating what to do. If you believe the prosecution, uh, this was two years later. So they hadn't been talking about it. That's the reason that they needed the bump was to get them thinking about it and communicating again. So they probably hadn't been communicating about what if something like this happens. Right. Well played by investigators. All right. When we come back, we're going to zero in on Charlie Adelson and the uh, trial and the evidence, what to expect, what kind of evidence, what kind of proof. Um, This is not an easy one uh, for the prosecution. Did you have anything to do with the murder of Dan Markell? No, ma'am. Did you get the father of your children, Mr. Garcia, to commit a murder on behalf of Mr. Charlie Adelson? No, ma'am. Uh, there's Katie McBanawa, uh, seemingly speaking out of both sides of her mouth, all right? Um, now, again, the prosecution theory is, is that she's the link. She's the one having fun, sleeping with Charlie Adelson, getting money and gifts from the Adelson family, checks, this, that, and the other thing. And prosecutors say that she's the one that then is sort of the the middle person connecting um, the Adelsons, a, you know, well-respected family of dentists and lawyers with Latin King killers. She's the the go-between, right? She's the connection. But right there in court at her trial, she denied it. And she didn't do it once. She did it twice. Two different trials. To this day, do you think he's guilty? Yes, ma'am. Do you believe that he should be prosecuted for his involvement in the murder of Dan Markell? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Do you think he should come forward and let the jury know that you had nothing to do with this? Yes, ma'am. Julia Janae, she's on the witness list. Are prosecutors, do we think prosecutors will use her to try to connect Charlie directly to the hitmen? Yes, we believe that she has turned state witness. She is on their list and she has been moved from state prison to the local county jail, which usually if you've been convicted of first degree murder, you stay in prison. But when you have to be in court at a local proceeding, then you can get moved to the jail of that uh County, So that's what we're expecting. She's going to take the stand and she's going to tell a little bit more of the tune that you heard there at the end, that Charlie is the one who is guilty and he should be facing punishment for everything that had happened. But I think she's also going to have to change her tune as far as her own involvement. She has to. She has to. And, and prosecutors have to call as their star witness someone who has committed blatant perjury two times in a row. In, in two separate trials, who will say whatever she needs to say that will help her, she's going to get destroyed on cross-examination. Destroyed. She might, but in this position that she's in now, she doesn't have anything really to gain that we've heard of yet. Now, we'll hear whether or not she's getting some kind of a deal. She's already a convict. Is she getting transferred to a better prison? Don't know. But if she is not getting much in return for her telling the truth, I think a jury could look at it very positively because the other two times, yes, she perjured herself. 
if she says something different, but she was trying to save her own skin. Now she doesn't have anything to gain, but she does want people to know the truth that may be yeah. positive. Um, I think the defense against her, have you been charged with perjury? Have you been charged with perjury? Wow. Okay. That's one witness against Charlie Adelson we expect. Another witness against him is going to be his own sister. What? Like, the allegation is, is that he did this for his sister, and now she'll be called to testify against him? Well, here's what she said at the first two trials. Did he mention hiring a hitman to kill your husband? Objection. Here's it. No. Did he ever joke about he looked into hiring a hitman, but buying you a TV as a divorce present would be cheaper? He did make that joke. He tended to repeat himself, and sometimes he would make jokes that weren't very funny about all kinds of things. All right. And was that TV? Did he buy you a TV as a divorce present? He did. This is the truth in humor witness for the prosecution. Like, it's one thing you joke about, yeah, I'll hire a hitman to kill your, your husband, but then a hitman actually killed him. Because we know, and this jury is going to know, that Sigfredo and Luis are hitmen. They have no connection to Dan Markell. There's no reason. There's no reason whatsoever for them to drive 400 miles to murder this loving father of two, other than to be hired to do it. Yeah, no reason at all. So that's going to be something that she will probably repeat, that it was just in poor taste, but with him sitting there at the defense table, which is what's going to be new, that's going to look very bad. Uh, she told police that early on uh, in her very first interview with police about that joke. That's why I don't think she really had knowledge about what happened, because I think for her to reveal that to police in the hours after this shooting where she's just figuring out, and I don't, I don't even think Dan Markell had passed away yet. They were still working on him in the hospital for her to share that joke. It tells me she may not have known that her brother was, in fact, involved. Uh, I, 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 I guess. I, I guess that would be her defense if she ever got charged. Wow. It's, this story is unreal. And this trial is going to be unpredictable because prosecutors have to use, like, his sister against him, have to use his uh, girlfriend who said something completely different in the in the two trials beforehand in sworn testimony wow but they do have the again the dolce vita recordings let's listen to another one i, w- I wish it was top Again, there he is. Um, all this chatter after the after Donna bumps into this uh, undercover, and and to me, all of this is just makes them look. I mean, jurors are allowed to use their common sense, and why they aren't sort of freaking out. And I guess the card that they'll play 
is that they just didn't trust investigators because investigators had their their eyes set on the Adelson family and they didn't trust uh, police here. Yeah, but why not tell police there you may have an actual suspect? Someone has approached us. I mean, I don't know how far that one flies. I'm I was leaning in just now trying to listen to that sound bite. And even though it's enhanced, I think jurors may have difficulty hearing it. We know it's not mm-hmm. likely that the transcripts are going to come in for the recording. Jurors are just going to have to use their their ears to hear it. And though we know that that was um, Charlie talking to Catherine about his mom being approached by the undercover agent, I just wonder if they're going to pull from it what we know from it just because we've analyzed it, we've read the transcripts, and we know the hidden stuff. That's a great point. Great point that the, the the recordings are not super clear, not at all. So maybe they'll they'll dispute what the prosecution allege is actually being said in those. So do we know what his defense will be? Is it going to be one of these you just sit back and say they haven't proven it? But like the premise to me is is that this is a murder for hire, and it's a thousand percent obvious. Catherine McBanawa. Um, seems to be somehow in the middle of it, according to Luis. So she would have no reason to kill Dan Markell. Why would she order the hit of Dan Markell? And she doesn't have much. She doesn't have two nickels to rub together. So why would Luis Rivera uh, agree to do that? Like none of nothing other than someone from the Adelson family doing it makes sense. They would be the only ones ordering this. We don't know a lot about his defense on the record of what it will be, but here's my theory. Here's my opinion completely. Uh, I think there's going to be this argument that Catherine McBanawa and Sigfredo Garcia, because they were still together, even though she was dating Charlie, um, that they decided to do this because they knew it was a problem for Charlie and for his family. They knew the issue they were having. So they did it independently, knowing that they could then go back to them and blackmail them or tell them, hey, I did this thing for you. Now you should help me. And I say that because that's something Wendy mentioned in that first interview with police. She told police, I know why you would look at us. We are, you know, it is a custody battle going on. It makes sense that you would think we did had something to do with it we didn't she said but i hope someone didn't do it thinking they were trying to help us yeah i I, but but what do they get on the back end of that i mean she did get paid on the back end of that right i mean there's going to be financial records and following the money going from the adelson's to her whether it's directly from charlie or from the uh, dental practice Yep, a lot of payments uh, from the Adelson Institute to her, uh, cars that she received. She got a breast augmentation after some payments she received. She was driving around in Harvey Adelson's Lexus that she paid him about $1,700 for. and But they did spread it out over time. And she explained it away on her during her testimony as you know, they were they were helping her out, but that it was not significant money. All right. It's Florida versus Charlie Adelson on your front row seat to Justice Court TV. What a case. What a, It's taken such a long time to get here. Julie Janae on the ground in Tallahassee. And 
This one, extremely unpredictable. What I do know, though, is that Charlie Adelson can afford the best defense that anyone can afford. So this is going to be fought. No one is rolling over. Uh, prosecutors are going to have to dot the I's and cross the T's, and I don't know what's going to happen when Wendy takes the stand. I don't know what's going to happen when Katie takes the stand, and I don't know what's going to happen if and when Charlie Adelson takes the stand. Perhaps he points the finger at a family member, or as you said, they just say, I don't know. It was like some pillow talk I had with Katie, and I was just telling her how much it was bugging my sister and just destroying our family, and... Katie did us a favor? What? All right, maybe. That could be it. I think Julie Janae is right on that one. All right, Julie Janae, I know you got to get back to court, back to work. Thank you so much. Thanks, Vinny. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening to the Court TV podcast. Uh, please check the show notes. And uh, don't forget that you can also uh, download uh, prior episodes. Go on CourtTV.com for all the great trials and content we have there. Plus, you can watch me on my show, Closing Arguments, Monday through Friday, 8 o'clock, on your front row seat to justice. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.